Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 23. This will be our last week in Matthew chapter 23. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's found on page 829. So as we close up this chapter... Our passage has two parts. The first is this last woe statement that we're going to come to. Again, dealing with the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders. And then we're going to have this turn in the second part to a loving call from Jesus to turn to him in faith and repentance. But as we begin to think about this text, I want to talk about that flavor of hypocrisy that we're going to see today. The, the verses that we're going to look at are consistent with an idea that C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Lewis defines chronological snobbery as the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate of our own age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that count discredited. In other words, chronological snobbery is when we look back at the past And we assume we are much better than them. And we assume that we would not make the same mistakes that they did. Again, hence the snobbery part. It reminds us this is one of the good uses of history. To actually understand why people made the decisions that they did. And to further see how we might too have been deceived. You know, one of the most humbling books I read in college was a book called Ordinary Men. It was about the Reserve Police Battalion 101 and the final solution in Poland. It was about a section of the Nazi army. And as the title suggests, the historian shows how in one way, the people who committed those atrocities were normal people. But it also showed their descent from needing to be inebriated to carry out their work to doing so with callousness and violence. And it showed how normal people, they were not extra evil, but who could follow that path of violence. And it's those lessons where we need to put ourselves in their shoes. You know, it's easy when we read Matthew 23 to put ourselves in Jesus' shoes. Like, yeah, you Pharisees are terrible. Rather than to see ourselves in the Pharisees, oftentimes making the same mistakes that they do. That we would not have chronological snobbery. That we would never say, I would never do that. And in doing so, we protect ourselves from really being convicted by the scriptures and repenting of our own hypocrisy and following Jesus in faith and integrity. So let's look, beginning in verse 29. And again, this this flavor of hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of the denial of sin. Look at verses 29 to 32 with me. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, 
we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. So again, as we've seen throughout this chapter, we see this language of woe to you. And as we've talked before, this is a language of judgment. It's not the woe is me that we often use in our language. Woe here meaning judgment. And we see again the nature of this specific hypocrisy. They build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. And they say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Again, their hypocrisy is rooted in their claims that they would not have made the same mistakes as their ancestors, that they would not have been a part of killing God's prophets. And while they connect themselves back to their fathers, they claim to not live like them. And this is where Jesus' pronouncement of judgment comes in. In Jesus' judgment, they are acting exactly like their fathers. So verse 31, Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. Because they can claim all they want, that they would have treated the prophets differently, But they're rejecting Jesus just as their ancestors rejected the prophets. And in addition to that, Matthew has already told us that they are, at this moment, making plans to have Jesus executed. Right? So Matthew 21, two chapters earlier, we read, And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. They were already scheming about how to get rid of Jesus, and here they are saying, well, we wouldn't have been like our ancestors. And when we get to the end of this section of Matthew, in Matthew 26, we're going to see this. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. No matter what they say, they are children of their fathers. No matter what they might claim, they are rejecting God's chosen messenger just like their ancestors. And rather than heed the warnings of the past, because isn't that what history is? History doesn't always tell us what to do. Sometimes it says, don't do that. So you're either going to be a role model or a warning to future people. (laughs) Rather than heed those warnings, they continue on in rejecting the word of God by rejecting Jesus as the promised Savior. And then verse 32 adds adds this other layer that will lead us into the next section. Jesus says this about them. Look at verse 32. Fill up then the measure of your father's. This is a picture of sin filling up like a cup or a container. And it's actually most likely an allusion back to Genesis 15. I'm going to read a slightly longer passage here. But this is from the life of Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land 
that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. All right, so this is talking about the people of Israel in Egypt. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Book of Exodus. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here, that is the promised land, in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So in the mind of God, the sin of the Amorites was not filled up yet. Their cup of sin was not full. And once the cup of sin is full, that's when judgment comes. So when the people come back into the promised land, they are a part of God's judgment on the Amorite people. And so we can see this here in Matthew, where Jesus says, fill up then the measure of your fathers. Sin, like a cup, is being filled, and once it is filled, judgment will come. While the judgment is delayed, the judgment is certain. Let's look now, verse 33 to 35, where Jesus continues. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. As I mentioned before, as we've gone through Matthew 23, Matthew 23 is some of the strongest language of judgment from the mouth of Jesus. And it is to be a sober reminder that judgment is real. And Jesus makes his views very clear here. These leaders are not the shepherds of God's people. Rather, they are serpents and vipers. Okay, there's no way to make that a compliment. They do not give life. They take it away. And because of their rejection of Jesus, and as we saw earlier in their chapter, their desire to prevent other people from placing their faith in Jesus. Jesus asks a rhetorical question where he says, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? And the assumed answer to that question is, you're not. (laughs) You're not going to escape. If you continue to reject Jesus, you will face judgment. If they continue in the sins of their ancestors, whether they they claim to, If they continue in those same sins, they cannot escape the just wrath of God. Now, because of the way that verse 34 is written in the present tense, it's helpful to think of this as sort of Jesus, even though he's speaking in the present tense, that he is speaking prophetically. Look at verse 34. Therefore, 
I send or I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in their synagogues and persecute from town to town. Almost as proof of their sinfulness, those and those like them will be sent more messengers. But instead of listening to those people, they will kill and crucify some, they will flog some, and they will persecute them from town to town. Now we will see this come true in Jesus himself. Jesus will be crucified for speaking the truth. And you can also clearly see the connections to the book of Acts and what that first generation of Christians experienced. You know, as a secondary function of this warning to the Pharisees is for those of us who follow Jesus. That following Jesus will not always make you popular and that all of us must be ready to face persecution in whatever form it takes for following Jesus. And it should also humble us who live where we live at a time in which we do, who have not experienced the same level of persecution that many over history and in other parts of the world do regularly. But when this persecution happens, the leaders will show that they are truly the sons of their fathers and show their guilt by continuing the history of murder of God's innocent people. And that's where the next verses come into play, verse 35. So there Jesus says, So that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah. Hopefully that first name is familiar to you. Abel, the son of Adam and Eve, the first homicide victim. The second one is a little harder. Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. It's quite possible this story is not actually recorded in the Bible. The best option we have is a man named Zechariah, son of Jehoiada, who was possibly his grandfather, but... In the way that the Hebrew language works, you can refer to someone as the son of their grandfather. And that's referenced to in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. And why that's probably the best option is that in the Hebrew Bible, they have a little different order than us, than what we use today. And their last book is Chronicles. So you have a murder in Genesis and a murder in Chronicles. The idea, the first murder to the last murder. And when you have the first and the last, it's all in between. They are a part of a history of sinful people rejecting God and his messengers. And that leads us into the last pronouncement in verse 36. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. The people at the time of Jesus are rejecting him the same way their ancestors rejected the prophets before. 
Even though they claim to be different, they are the same. They are filling up the measure of sin against God and his messengers. And because they have rejected Jesus, they will experience the judgment of God. You know, Jesus uses that introductory formula there, truly I say to you. It's one of the ways that Jesus marks, hey, what I'm saying is important. Judgment will come on those who reject God and his messengers. These hypocrites who reject God's call to repentance and faith in Jesus will experience the full judgment of God. It cannot be escaped. It is inevitable. And the message is clear. Flee from the wrath of God and repent of your sins and place your trust in Jesus Christ. Now there's this neat turn in the second part of our passage here. Again, up to this point, we have some of the strongest language of judgment, of calling out sin for what it is. But the neat part of chapter 23 is it ends with this warm and loving picture of God calling sinners to himself. Look at verses 37 to 39. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have this wonderful turn in verse 37. Now notice there is still some strong language. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. Okay, Jesus is not pretending that their sin is not real. But there's this then turn of a sadness and a love for the people that are rejecting him. Now, a couple things I want to note before we get to that part. This idea of addressing the city of Jerusalem is a common way for the Old Testament prophets to speak. So an example would be Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 14. O Jerusalem! Wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? And in calling out the city, he's calling out the people within the city. But I think it's important, and this will continue on, that Jesus is adopting the forms of the Old Testament prophets, forms that would have been familiar to the people he is speaking to. And again, we don't read two books. We have one book in two parts. And Jesus continues the Old Testament. I also wanted to use an example from Jeremiah. Because verse 38, which says, See, your house is left to you desolate. You might be wondering, what is he talking about? Thank you for asking. 
most likely a connection to Jeremiah chapter 22, which says this, Thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this words. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. You know, Jeremiah throughout church history has been called the weeping prophet. And I think that captures a lot of the tone of Jesus here as he says some of his last words to these people. In fact, one commentator refers to this section as the lament over Jerusalem and connects this passage to Ezekiel chapter 18 which says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. This calling out of the sin of Jerusalem, calling them to not repeat the same mistakes of their ancestors is mixed with a very loving picture of salvation. This God who takes no pleasure in the death of anyone, but rather, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? In concert with this clear pronouncement of their sin, There's no excusing of the sin. There is this desire for reconciliation. The picture of reconciliation between God and sinful man is the love and protection of a mother hen. And again, this echoes your Old Testament. Psalm 91 says, He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. This loving picture of a hen gathering her chicks under her wings. But then the sadness, I would have done this, but you would not. You were not willing. The people remain estranged from God, not because of any deficit in God, but because they were unwilling to repent. And that is where, again, this reference to Jeremiah comes in. See, your house is left to you desolate. Their unwillingness to repent will lead to their judgment. But we also see there is a time limit to their decision. Look at verse 39 says, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, Jesus is using his Old Testament. This is a quote from Psalm 118. And we know in this part in Matthew that Jesus is nearing the end of his earthly ministry. And when it talks about that day where he says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is best understood as this future day, as the return of Jesus. As one commentator puts it, the day that all will acknowledge Jesus. Or to use the language of Paul in Philippians chapter 2, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible tells us that every person will bow either in judgment 
or in worship to Jesus. Now this is also preparing us for chapter 24. Chapter 24, you know, we're sort of going from the frying pan into the fire here. We're going to talk about the end of the world. So giddy up. But there it will be a day where Christ returns and all people will bow, rather in judgment or worship. But as Jesus laments, again, there's a sadness to him, and it's a sadness we can take into our own conversations with those who reject Jesus. That as they reject Jesus, there is a sadness to say, no, he desires to gather you like a mother hen. What should they do? I want to go back to that Ezekiel verse I quoted earlier. Ezekiel eighteen thirty-two, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. The proper response to the love of God is to turn from our sin in repentance and turn to Jesus in faith. And when we do that, we will live. The reality of judgment does not lead to gloating on our part, but rather to a loving compassion just as Jesus had that calls people to repent and believe and be saved. Again, I think it's important for us to see this intertwining of truth and love. Jesus does not deny or excuse their sin, but out of his love calls them to faith and repentance. And as followers of Jesus, we do not ignore the reality of sin, but out of love that we have received from God, we lovingly call unbelievers to turn from their sin and find new life in Jesus Christ. Sin is real and sin deserves judgment. But Jesus is calling us to turn from our sin and turn to him in faith. And he is calling us with loving arms, like a mother hen gathering her chicks. Repent of your sin, turn to faith in Jesus, and be saved. You know, we don't need to be afraid of unbelievers. We don't even need to be bitter and angry about them. Do you see the love that Jesus has for the very people who are plotting his death? Now that doesn't mean he doesn't tell the truth, but he does so in a way that is loving and kind. Jesus, with the love of a mother hen, calls them to repent and believe, and that is our call today, too. A couple thoughts as we close up this morning. Number one, don't be a chronological snob. We have so much technology and so much access to information, it is easy for us to look down on those who came before us. But as many have said, those who ignore history or who think they are better than the people in history are doomed to repeat it. The pride of the Pharisees led them to make the same mistakes as their ancestors. The children of the people who mistreated the prophets would reject and conspire to kill the promised Savior. 
lay down your pride and come to Jesus in humble faith and repentance. And secondly, Jesus is both judge and mother hen. Jesus gives us this wonderful picture in our passage today that that judgment is real and that one day he is returning and he will bring total and complete judgment. But we also see the love and the sadness as he looks at the people rejecting him, as the compassion he has that if only they would turn, turn from their sin, turn in faith, he would gather them under his wings. And as we interact, as we interact with those around us who are rejecting Jesus in the same way, that we would lovingly and truthfully call them to faith and repentance so that they would live. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word to us this morning. That we would be humble and not hypocrites. That we would say, I could never do that, looking our nose down at others. But that if there is that hypocrisy in us, that you would bring it to our hearts, that we would repent of it. That we would live lives of integrity following Jesus. And God, we thank you for these kind and loving words of Jesus said to the people who were plotting his arrest and execution, lovingly and truthfully calling them to repentance of sin and faith in him. And that you would give each of us an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus in the same way that we would boldly speak the truth, but with a love and compassion for those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this video from Hillside Evangelical Free Church. Our hope is that these resources will help you grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We're located in Greenbank, Washington on Whidbey Island, and if you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more information at our website at hillside-efc.com.